Hello and welcome to the Praise Center Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, visit PraiseCenterOnline.com. I'd like you to open your Bibles today, if you would, to the book of Hebrews in chapter 4. Find verse 14 when you do that. And we'll read a few verses in just a moment. We're continuing in our series uh, that we've been doing uh, for a little bit here, taking a break last week for Mother's Day, but looking at this ancient document called the Apostles' Creed. The, the Creed is this concise statement of Christian beliefs, and so far, here's what we've done. We've looked at the idea that God created all things, that, that the purpose of his creation was us, that to have a relationship with God, it's only through Jesus Christ, his son, and that, that Christ must be Lord of our lives for us to also have eternal life. We looked at the virgin birth and saw that, that Jesus was both human and God, and by, by that, simultaneously, he could... He could uh, do what no one else could do, and that was reverse the curse that had happened through the Garden of Eden. We also saw that the crucifixion of Christ meant that he took our place so that we could be redeemed. And two weeks ago, we saw that while his body lay in the tomb, he descended first into, uh, into Hades and uh, to make sure our rescue from death was complete. And he gathered all the believers at that time into the presence of the Lord. And thank God. Amen. We talked about Hades having two locations, one good side, one bad side. And he, he, re- he brought those that were in the uh, good side out to be in the presence of God. Are you with me? Just wanted to get caught up. So we're going to do what we've done the last few weeks, and that is stand one more time and recite our modified, slightly modified creed. We made a couple of minor corrections uh, for ourselves in this, but it pretty much carries the essence. Are you ready to recite with me? All right, go. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the community of holy people, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. You may be seated. Good job. And today we're going to look at this phrase here. He ascended into heaven and he's seated at the right hand of the Father as we talk about Christ's ascension today. Here we get to our text now. Um, But before we do, let me read uh, just a recap of the ascension itself, historically speaking, from Acts 1, 8 through 11. So I'll just read this to you, but then we'll read our text. Uh, From Acts 1, 8 through 11, it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes. That's the ascension. And a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going. When suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Praise God. Amen? He's coming back. Now, our text, Hebrews 4, 14, and this brings purpose to it. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven... Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Oh, profess, sorry. (laughs) Don't know where my mind and mouth went different places right then. 
For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may find or receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. What a great, great verse. Great reminder. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for speaking to us today through it and through the preaching of the word. We pray that uh, everyone who is here will receive something unique and special from you and, uh, and an understanding that goes deeper than they've had before. Thank you for your ascension and thank you that you rose, not only rose from the dead, but you rose to be with the Father back where you started from, God. And we thank you that you rule and reign from there in our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Some of you aren't old enough to know this, and so it would be history to you, but back in the 1980s, there was quite a hubbub in America about uh, the California condor. And the deal was, is this bird, uh, through, through many reasons, but had almost become completely extinct. And, and uh, it is the largest flying bird, and i got a picture of a condor here, but that's the largest flying bird in North America, and it almost has about a 10-foot wingspan. Huge, huge bird. I mean, can you picture that? That's just amazing. Uh, and so, but in 1987, these birds were down to 27, uh, 27 birds were left. So they captured all of them. They put them all in um, captivity and, uh, for fear that they would die if they remained in the wild. Since then, they've changed some of the things that were causing them to die. And uh, uh, basically, now there's uh, over 400 of them alive. And they've actually reintroduced the, uh, many of them to the wild in southeast or southwest uh, America. And so uh, good for the condor, right? That's good. That's good news. About the same time, back in the 80s, late 80s, while there was only about 27 of them left, a friend of mine took his daughter to, uh, they went through a drive-thru at a KFC, and, um, and so she was about eight at the time, and they, they go through this drive-thru, and uh, at that time, KFC had a kid's meal, and they called it the Little Colonel, okay? And, but she couldn't remember the name of it. She knew she wanted that. And so she spoke up from the back seat when her dad asked her what she wanted, and she says, I want the Little Condor. Now, that may not be humorous to you, but I, I have a sick sense of humor, so I immediately got this picture in my mind of, of them chopping up the last of the condors to make little nuggets for kids to eat, and I just kind of went through my mind. I know that's gross, but that's what happened, and I, I found it quite humorous. Now, now uh, but, but they're rare. They, these were rare birds, and so that was funny to me. And it made me think of uh, back... Back in the 1600s, uh, there was the dodo bird that uh, wa was living in Madagascar on that island for a long, long time there. And, uh, but you can just picture a group of guys sitting around a, a fire on Madagascar, and they're eating a dodo bird, and, and guys just say, man, that's so good. Let's get another one and cook it up. And the guy goes, that was the last one. <laughs> and it, so they're extinct now, right? <laughs> See, sick sense of humor. But <laughs> I think that's funny. So, uh, but that's, that's too rare. That's going too far. Uh, I recently read that the rarest baseball card in the world is a 1909 Honus Wagner. <laughs> Has anybody ever heard of Honus Wagner? You have? No way. A couple of you guys raised your hand. That's incredible. And uh, yeah, but I mean... So that sold, that card, maybe not that particular one, I don't know. That one looks like it has a stain on it. But anyway, a card like that sold for $2.8 million. It's the rarest baseball card there is. Uh, yeah. 
if he only knew how famous he'd become. But I'm thinking, I would like to meet the guy that spends $2.8 million on a baseball card. That's, that's crazy. But, you know, I, I've never heard of Honus Wagner until this week, but here you go again, something that's very, very rare. Something else that was rare is in the Old Testament, it was really rare because it only happened once a year, and it was called the Day of Atonement. And, uh, and there had to be a lot of careful planning and preparation, especially by the high priest. He had, to, he had to be ready when he went in, and historically we're told that they even had to tie a rope around his foot in case when he went in to that Holy of Holies only once a year with the sacrifice of the blood of the lamb, that he would be fully prepared, and if he wasn't, they would have to drag him out because you can't go in there unless you're prepared. And so that's how rare this was to be able to go to the most holy place. We know that sin cannot exist in the presence of God. The Holy of Holies represents the presence of God. And so when this high priest would go in there, the only way he could go in is if his sin had been completely forgiven by sacrifice. And of course, we know that those blood sacrifices back then of animals were not actually protecting them from sin, but as they had faith to look forward to the Lamb of God who would die for their sins, right? That's what really does the job, and that's the only way anybody could ever get into the presence of God is through the Lamb of God. But they were looking forward to it. We now look backward to it, but it's the same way. Everybody gets to God the same way. It's through the blood of the Lamb. So the writer of Hebrews um, talks about this, this event where, where the, this veil of the temple, or, that, or it was first a curtain in the, uh, in the tabernacle, and then it was moved to the temple as that was built. But there would be uh, uh, this idea of going through. And it was a rare thing that anybody could approach God at all. But our text speaks of this, our high priest, which is Jesus Christ, and he went through that curtain and into the most holy place. And can I tell you, this is the great part, he stayed there. He stayed there. See, he went through and he stayed there. That's what this ascension is about. And so it's no longer a rare thing for the, the high priest, if you will, to go into the presence of God. He stays continually in the presence of God. And he's there for us. And, and actually, he does something very significant. I, I want to talk about three things that him ascending and uh, the, going through that, that curtain in a figurative way and going into the presence of God means for us. So there's three things that the ascension speaks to today that we're going to talk about very quickly. Access to God, an anchor in God, and authority from God. Are you ready? Let's talk about access to God. In the book of Hebrews, he, again, this author is spending a great deal of time, and you, I don't know if you read Hebrews and go, man, it's just, he talks a lot about the law and the priests and what's going on there, but he's trying to make a huge point as, as the writer is writing to the Hebrew people because that's what their lives have been wrapped around for thousands of years now. As they've come to that place, they're just, they just want so much to understand what's going on, and so he's connecting Jesus to what they have believed, and and so uh, he's, he's connecting these dots for them. And it, it, you really see it all through the book of Hebrews. And, uh, and he's saying that Jesus Christ is our high priest and that we have the ability now to come to God ourselves through Jesus Christ, which is phenomenal. Do you remember uh, when Jesus died on the cross, there was that moment, it says, where the, the veil of the temple or the curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And I'm going to tell you, not only is Jesus on the other side of that, but that veil is no longer there. There's no longer any separation between us. And, uh, and in fact, in, in Hebrews 10, we'll put it on the screen here, uh, Hebrews 10, 19 through 22, uh, it explains this for us. In fact, let's read it together. Would you do that with me? Go. Therefore, brothers and sisters... 
let me see. I have the wrong version here. Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance that faith brings. Isn't that incredible? What God has done for us. See, God's plan when he created mankind was to actually have a relationship with us and us have a relationship with him. And it was our sin, if you will, in the garden that separated us from God. And there was nothing at all that we could do about that. There's no fix that humankind could ever do to fix the divide that we had created between us and God. But God wasn't done. Thank, Thank him for that. Even so, he loved us so much he didn't want anybody to perish. He doesn't want anyone to perish. So he made a way for us to come back to him, and it's through Jesus and believing in his death, his burial and resurrection, that allows us to also pass through that curtain, if you will, with confidence and come to the one who loved us that much. So be assured of this today, church. You have access to God. You have access to God. There's nothing keeping you from always coming boldly to the throne of grace and coming to God. You have access in Jesus' name. The second thing you have is you're anchored in God. You're anchored in God. This is such a powerful truth. The writer of Hebrews uh, alludes to this curtain again in chapter 6 when he says this. He says, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters this inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. So there's this phrase in there, an anchor of our soul, for our soul. And we see how in this passage here that even though it's two chapters away from our text, it, with, it has this same thought in it that he ascended, and when he ascended, he passed through this curtain placing an anchor there that is, un, with an, I like to think of it this way, with an unbreakable rope that we can hang on to on the other side, right? It, there's no way that can be broken at all. And it connects back to us who believe in Jesus. And if we believe and hold on to it, we'll, we'll uh, be able to con- contend for that and have that anchor in there. Back in the 80s, um, again, another story from the 80s here, but uh, Rhonda and I were actually helped to, or asked to help in a triathlon that happened down in the Ellensburg area. And uh, we, we went uh, down to Vantage. The, the triathlon was a swim that started in the Columbia River, kind of a triangular swim. Uh, and then they would leave there. They would ride uphill out of Vantage into the Ellensburg wind. And, um, and then when they got to Ellensburg, they, they ran in, in the wind as well. So that was like, I think some kind of sicko came up with that triathlon. Like somebody was really demented. But uh, so, so they asked us if we would help out with the triathlon. One of the organizers did and, and uh, got us. We, went, we just drove down there. We got into a rubber raft with another guy. And the main idea was we were going to float out near the swimming lanes so that when people were swimming that they if they had any trouble at all we would be there to rescue them sounds good right so there's about five of these rafts out there and one motorboat that the sheriff had that they were out in the middle of it all and that sort of thing well as is typical the wind that starts in Ellensburg makes its way over the hill and came down into Vantage and the race starts I mean we were there super early but by the time the race starts there's a pretty strong wind and it's getting stronger every moment the, 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 the swimmers initially swam north along the bank which wasn't bad and then they went by a buoy and then they were to go out into the middle of the river uh, there was another big orange buoy that they put out there and then they're going to turn and come back to the boat launch and take off from there. Well, as the wind began to blow, the 
buoy that was in the middle of the river had been anchored, but the wind was so strong and the buoy was large enough that the wind just started pushing that buoy and it started dragging whatever anchor they had on there. It wasn't enough. And it began to drag it across the lake. Well, there's white caps, there's waves. I mean, it's really thrashing around out there. As the swimmers take the corner, we're, we're paddling like crazy just to stay in position and we can't. We're being pushed all the way across the, the you know, to the, to the east as well. And we're being pushed across and we're realizing we're not going to be any assistance to anybody. We can't even move out here. We're just paddling to stay in position. Couldn't do it. Well, but at the same time, we looked and we saw, we could tell that that buoy was now moving across the lake, but the swimmers didn't realize it. And they kept swimming toward it, swimming toward it. Pretty soon, they were just going like twice as far as they would have to go. We're all in the, and it's so loud. I mean, there's just thrashing wind. And we're screaming and yelling and trying to stand up in the raft and point, go back, go back, go back. We're crazy people. And, uh, and the sheriff got concerned because all the rafts, all five of us, none of us could keep against that wind and these rubber rafts. So he went around and he started collecting up all the rubber rafts and t- tied us off to his boat. And be- well, in the meantime, all these swimmers are still swimming a lot further. Some of them are getting leg cramps, and, and so I'm more concerned. Let us drift. We're in a boat. Like, go help those people. And finally, we pulled up along one guy. I don't know if you remember this, Rhonda, but we pulled up along one guy. Two other guys, graciously, even though they were in a race, uh, decided to stay with this one guy because he had leg cramps so bad he most certainly would have drowned if these two men had not come alongside and just kept holding him up and paddling and keeping treading water. Finally, we, get, we could see the guy, but we couldn't get to him because the sheriff is again taking all these rafts and we we're all tied on. Finally, they pull up alongside. We pull him into our raft. I never saw in my life in, in someone's eyes such fear, such panic, such terror. And, uh, and we, we did everything we could to comfort him, but he was just completely gone. He was so scared about what was going on. And uh, finally, we got everybody back to shore. Nobody died, thank God. But I mean, it was a terrible, terrible moment. And... Uh, and so, so after all that, you think, well, how important was that anchor that was holding that buoy out there? It's super important. If your life is on the line, it's ex- when your life is at risk, can I suggest to you that in the same way, if our anchor is moving, if our anchor isn't sure, if it isn't firm where it was planted by Jesus Christ, then our lives are at risk. But we have an anchor that the Bible says is secure. It is, you know, it is, it is never going to let go. And we're always going to be connected to the other side of that curtain by that anchor. Thank God for that. Amen? The Bible says here in Hebrews that what Jesus did on the cross provided that anchor. Our anchor is firm and secure. And, and, and here's why this is important to us in our day-to-day lives. Because uh, I don't know about you, but do you find in your life times where storms come around in your life, that you face storms, tough times, difficult things you go through, and then you, you think, oh man, how am I going to make it through this? But it's so good to hold on. <laughs> and I want you to know, even as you're holding on, can I tell you also that on this end of it, Jesus gives you the strength by his spirit to hold on, and you won't let go, and he won't let go of you either, but that anchor is secure on the other side. You can trust the Lord in that. And that's, again, this verse, I already kind of mentioned it, but Hebrews 4.16. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace, here it comes, to help us in our time of need. When those storms come in your life, you feel like, man, I, I feel like I'm getting in trouble here. And just know you have a place that is secure and strong in the Lord, a rope that will never break, that will ca- carry you. I, I like the story about the man who went to a monastery in Portugal and was perched high on a cliff. I don't know if you've seen pictures of these, but they have a basket that you get in. That's the only way you can get to the monastery. And th- this was perched up on a 3,000-foot cliff, 
And the only way you could get to it was through this basket that was attached through a rope and had a bunch of strong guys on the top that would pull you up to it. I don't know about you, but I'd never get in that basket. But the man who uh, visited the site got nervous as they were going up the cliff. And about halfway up, he noticed that the, the rope was frayed and old. And he, he, hoping to relieve his fear, he said, how often do you change the rope? And the guy said, oh, whenever it breaks. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a Savior who's attached to us in such a way. He'll never let go. We'll never let go. That's not acceptable to me, is it to you? And your life is on the line? No, thank you. So we have access to God. We have an anchor in God. And now let's talk about the final thing we see from this passage is that the cross and through, through the cross and passing through into to, uh, God's ascension means that we have authority from God. Authority from God. I'm going to ask you a question, and it's not a trick, uh, but if I ask you, is God the supreme authority in all the universe, you would say, yes, absolutely. And that is absolutely true. But I want to point out something that God did when he created mankind. He took some of his authority, and he placed it on mankind. He put it into people. He told them, you have dominion over the earth. And they squandered it, gave it to the devil. Jesus took it back through the cross, hallelujah. But he also gave, in that sense, when he gave us authority, he also gave us a human will. And in that, having that will, we can make choices to serve or not serve God with it. We, we have the choice to do that. And so, so there, you say, well, he's the supreme authority, but he will not violate what he has given us, that authority to make our own choices and to have authority over the earth. And, of course, when we messed up in the Garden of Eden, we messed up the whole idea of God, which was for us to rule and reign over the earth. And uh, so there was a problem. So when, when Jesus ascended, he returned, listen, to his former position because he's always been the son, he, he's always existed, he was seated, he only laid aside his right to act as God, but he didn't lay aside the fact that he was God, and he came to this earth, he took on a, 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 an earth suit, if you will, a human flesh, just like us, and, and lived here for a while, but I want you to know when he ascended, where he ascended was to a place to be seated at the right hand of the Father, and he's there now, he's there right now. And again, the writer of Hebrews, now this is back in chapter 1, we'll put it on the screen, verses 3 and 4, it says, The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after he provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven, so he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. He sits down at the right hand of the Father, now, I want to make this clear. This is not Jesus kind of getting done with all that he did on earth and going through everything he went through, and man, it was a lot of work, and sitting down and taking a break. He sits down to rule and to reign. He sits down, and, and, and it, it, what, him being seated meant that all the authority that man once had, now a man, God-man, if you will, sat in a place where he could take it again. That what he'd given to Adam, which we'd squandered, now was taken back by the Son of God who became a man and, and carries that forever with him. The essence of man is always going to be with God in this. And so this somehow, now he's seated there. He's taking over for the part of God's authority that he had, he had given to us, we squandered, and now it's come back to him. And so, so uh, he's, it's, returning, it's returning the authority. And it will be, we're in the now and not yet time, so we don't see it fully materialized but we do see bits and pieces of it as the body of christ does its work in the earth but there will come a day when he will set his feet back down on the mount of olives when all earth will be returned completely uh in a complete way but it's it's spiritually it is his now and and ultimately it will happen so so 
the psalmist, uh, or excuse me, the uh, writer of Hebrews quotes David in Psalm 8, and in verse, uh, uh, chapter 2, verse 6, he says, it is not to, or verse 5, he says, it's not to angels that he has subjected the world to come about which we are speaking, but there is a place where someone has testified, what is mankind that you're mindful of them, a son of man that you care for him? And I just want to stop. You think about it, you think, why would God be interested? Why would he give us so much authority? Why would he give, you know what I'm saying? It just, and I understand what David is saying here in the Psalms. He says in, in verse 7, listen to this. Now, it changes. He says, you made them. See the word them in that sentence. A little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honor and put everything under their feet. This is very interesting that he's using the word, this idea this, that, that it's inclusive of more people than just one person. He, we're made, and he says this statement. He says, you're a little lower than the angels. You think, well, what's that about? Well, only this sense, only this sense are we lower than the angels in the sense that we are stuck with these mortal bodies for a while. Okay? That's it. That's it. That's the only way we're lower than the angels. Other than that, and, and when we shed these mortal bodies and we get a new body, that will no longer be the case. See, even Jesus was subject to that limitation while he was here. And, and, but he is no longer that way. And, and, and you need to know that spiritually, in a very, very real sense, even though we still live in these jars of clay, we already share in the authority that, that, it, that Jesus has at God's right hand. We're, we already have that. And, and we see this paradox of, again, this now but not yet going on. And, and I want to continue reading what I was just reading with the next part of this from verse 8, uh, middle of verse 8. It says, in putting everything under them, listen to this, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Are you catching what I'm saying right now? Are you understanding I'm talking about you and me, all right? And then he's, but then he, he almost starts like he's contradicting himself. Well, yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them. See, that's that tension we feel. Yes, everything's subject, but we're not seeing it happen. We're not, you know, sickness still involves, is in the world. Sin is still in the world. There's still all these stuff that isn't quite happening yet, and yet it's been given to us, and we're not quite experiencing all of it yet. And then he goes on, he says, but we do see Jesus. And listen, if this doesn't blow your mind, it says, who was made a little lower than the angels for a little while. See, that's why I know it only has to do with the physical limitations of our bodies. That's the only... Can, can, you can't even picture how would Jesus be lower than the angels, only in that sense. But that's no longer, hallelujah. Now he is crowned with glory and honor. Thank God, thank God. So, so let's keep connecting these dots then. If everything's under Christ's authority, and you and I are in Christ, that means... I'm already seated with him in heavenly places, and I have his authority. What I'm saying is true to you today, church. It is true. I want to show you two more verses. We're going to land this plane pretty quick. Colossians, notice these. Not, listen, when I read these verses, what I really want you to see is the past tense verbs being used. Colossians 3, 1 through 3 says this. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. You, 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 you have already been raised with Christ. You're already seated with Christ in heavenly places. Ephesians 2 says the same, uh, has the same essence, 2, 4 through 6. Again, la, uh, past tense. <coughs> uh, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy... 
past tense, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God, past tense, raised us up with Christ. It's already happened. And past tense, seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. I don't know. If we got kind of like an image, a picture of the authority that happens in our lives because of what Christ has done by ascending and going through and being seated at God's right hand, I, we could change the world. We truly can. That's how the world is getting changed is when people exercise and understand and use the authority that they have. This last week I took a trip to Portland and uh, I was driving and it was a long trip and I had this seminar thing I was going to on Tuesday. And I'm going to be honest, you know, and think less of me if you will, but I was driving faster than the speed limit. I could use the excuse that I was keeping up with traffic around me, but actually I was kind of in the fast lane and I was really pushing it a bit. And as I crested this hill, I was still in Washington State, and I was going south, and, and uh, I crested a hill, and I just saw a gleam out of the corner of my eye of a white car in the middle, and I, I knew what that was, and you know what it is too, and I thought, oh, shoot. So I immediately clicked off my cruise control. I see I'm confessing my sins here. Aren't you glad? So uh, I clicked off my cruise control, but I didn't want to hit my brakes as to be too obvious. You don't do that, do you? So uh, I clicked off my cruise control, and I... I Got, I probably dropped to about 78 miles an hour. Sorry. <laughs> she wasn't with me. She would have been screaming at me. So anyway, I'm flying past this cop at 78. But honestly, uh, I'm just thinking, and I'm not looking over at all. You know how you get. And so then as I coasted a little bit, I pulled over into the next lane. You young people, just close your eyes, ears like this. Don't listen to me. So I pulled over into the middle lane thinking, well, that'll look better if I <laughs> look like I wasn't <laughs> you know, trying to be a speed guy. And, but as soon as I was past him a bit and looked in my rearview mirror, sure enough, he pulled out. I thought, oh, that's it. I'm toast. I'm, I'm in trouble. And sure enough, I thought, oh, he's going to pull me over. This is bad. And so again, I pull over in that middle lane. Now I'm going about 74, and I am keeping up with traffic around me. Everybody's going about that fast. And, and I put my hands on 10 and 2, and I look straight ahead. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> I'm not even going to look over this way. I'm not even going to look in that mirror. I'm just like, mm. And uh, so, so... The, the police car, uh, I think it was a state patrol, he comes and I could kind of see out of my peripheral vision, but again, not looking directly. It's like looking at a bear. You don't want to look him straight in the eyes, you know. And so anyway, so anyway, he came whizzing past me and he just kept going. And you know how you feel at that moment. Oh, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> you know, that was, that was not smart at all. I was so relieved. But, but to be real about it now, just to be honest, he had the authority to pull me over and write me a ticket. But he didn't exercise that authority. And I might see that as grace on his part, but actually the truth is I was breaking the law and deserved it. But, but what I want to say as believers, well, a lot of times we, what we don't understand is kind of like God, when you got saved, God gave you a holy badge that says you have all authority. You have the same authority that Christ has to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to do all these things. But the problem is a lot of times we're just whizzing by in life and we're not using the authority that God gave us. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So, so listen to me. As believers, we have authority, the Bible says, to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. All the power of the enemy. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. And the billion-dollar question for all of us is, is will we use the authority that we've been given? Will we do it? How about it, church? What do you think? Yeah. Come on, let's just accept that. Worship team, come on back up. So as the disciples saw Jesus ascending into the clouds. They're just staring up there, and they're looking, and, and I think it's almost a humorous moment. He says, why, why are you standing here looking into the sky? I love that because it's sort of like saying, don't you understand you've got to get busy? 
right? You can't just stand around. I, I don't know what they were thinking. Maybe if we stand here long enough, he'll come back, <laughs> right? And, and I don't know what they were thinking, but, but in that moment, the angel said to him, you know, this same Jesus that's been taken from you will come back the same way. And intrinsically revealed in the ascension of Jesus is a promise, listen to me, of the return of Christ. Aren't you glad for that? He is coming back. The same way that you saw him go, he's going to come back and he's going to receive us to himself. He will eventually come all the way back to earth. After, well, after the rapture, he'll come back and he will rule and reign when he finally sets his feet back down on this planet. And I'll, I'll tell you what, we get to do that with him. Praise God. Talk about authority. That's going to be a great time on earth. But until that day, know this, that the ascension means this, that we've been given access to God. We have an anchor in God. And we have authority from God. Know those things. Lay hold of that for your own life. And that which in times past was so rare, it was such a rare thing to happen, is now given freely to us. That, that amazing ability as God's children to just go right into the throne room of God. Why wouldn't we go to the throne of God to find grace when we need it? To find mercy. Amen? That's where we're going to go right now. Would you stand with me? I'd like to pray for us and just receive this prayer as a, a prayer of encouragement upon your life. Lord, thank you that you love us so much, that you care for us, that, that you did these things for us. Lord, we see the complete picture of uh, the death on the cross, the burial, the resurrection of the dead. But God, there was more to it. And the ascension is an important part that you give us. That it's not just a little sideline thing, but there's something going on that you, you've shown us, Lord God, that, that shows us what actually happened when you ascended and you took your seat. In that sense, we also took our seat with you. In, and thank you that we have authority in the Lord. And Lord, may every single one of us Every single one of us come to the throne of grace right now. Not, not put it off, not think, oh yeah, I'll do that sometime. No, right this moment that anyone who's here, God, would receive mercy. That we would all get mercy, God, not getting what our sins deserve. Thank you, God, that you've forgiven our sins. Thank you for your mercy, Lord, you're so good. I've blown it so many times, God. I've messed up. I've gone places I shouldn't, God, in my mind and in my heart. I've, I've thought thoughts. I've, I've, I've been angry toward others, Lord. I've had unforgiveness in my heart. God, from time to time, I'm just struggling. But I thank you. I can always go to your throne of grace and find mercy. I need your mercy, Lord God. Oh, how we need your mercy. And Lord, thank you that grace is, is different than mercy, that it is you giving us what we don't deserve, which is the power to serve you, the the ability, the gifts to serve you and to love you, the ability even to come to you in the first place is only through your grace. Thank you for grace, Lord. And thank you that, God, that we're consistently and constantly in a time of need as human beings. Lord, we needed you when we came to you found you a savior we needed salvation but we we don't go a day without needing you so we come every day to your throne we come every day but not only do we come to your throne as your subjects to love you and to hear from you and get from you lord what you have for us but we are also god blows my mind but we are seated right there beside you because we're seated in christ oh wow come on oh thank you lord and thank you, that, Lord, we begin to see our lives differently. That we're not the, the tail, but we're the head. We're not the bottom, but we're the top. Not, God, it's not anything we've done to deserve that, but you've done it because you loved us, and you invite us to come and sit there with you. And that, Lord, all things will be subject to us as they were to your Son. Wow, wow. God, would you bring that reality home to us today?
Make it real, I pray in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to Praise Center Sermon of the Week. Don't forget, for more information, visit PraiseCenterOnline.com.